Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland and I am your host. It is November 21st, 2021. And I hope you're having a great weekend wherever you may be and however you may be listening across our great country or our great land. It is the week before Thanksgiving here in the United States. Sort of a weird time to be a sports fan um, with a lot of teams maybe taking some, or a lot of leagues maybe taking some breaks, uh, except the NFL, of course. I don't know if there will be Thanksgiving action in any of the other major leagues. But sort of a weird time, I think, in the sports world where, you know, you've got three leagues really in the thick of it. But college football is going to start to wind down a little a little bit here um, as we head toward bowl season around the holidays. So we are going to be experiencing the rivalry weeks coming up in college football uh, in the conference championships. And then, of course, we'll have a little bit of a hiatus before bowl season. Um, whereas in the NFL, a lot of teams have already had their bye. You know, I think we're in week 11, week 12 at this point. Week 10, 11, 12, I honestly can't keep track with the new... Uh, new schedule where we are where we are all at. The NHL is in full swing as well. The the schedule there has been bizarre, um, at least for my team, the Bruins, and a few others. So we'll get to that toward toward the end of the show. Uh, but I actually want to start with the NBA and college football. Last week we did a N- NHL and NFL roundup. Uh, this week we'll do a. NBA and college football roundup before getting into some of the prevalent topics um, that I want to talk about this week. So we'll lead off with the NBA. Um, now, for those of you who know me personally, I'm not a huge basketball guy. Uh, I consider myself a Celtics fan. I root for the Celtics when I do watch the NBA. Uh, I find their team to be pretty interesting with the young duo that they have, you know, new coach. Some role players that have kind of been around a while, uh, like Marcus Smart, who at this point is more of, you know, he's more the quote-unquote heart and soul of the team than a role player as he was a few years ago. Um, but he still plays a you know, kind, of, kind of a unique role on that team. So they're pretty pretty good team to watch. They've had some huge struggles um, early on. They've been wildly inconsistent. Uh, but despite that, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, um, which is... A step in the right direction from uh, where they were when they, I believe they started out two and five or three and five or something like that. So they're at nine and eight and they're sitting in that weird purgatory section of the NBA standings, which I find, you know, perhaps I'm a bad sports fan, but I didn't really know this was going to be something uh, that the league continued to do. Um, this, we're not looking at a shortened season, we're not in the bubble. Uh, so I'm not really sure why they're doing the um, play-in tournament with seeds 7 through 10 at the end of the year. That doesn't really make sense to me, um, but what do I know? The interesting thing about the Eastern Conference, though, is even though the Celtics are in that purgatory uh, section of, of the Eastern Conference standings between 7 and 10, they are not alone in terms of sort of being a disappointment. And what I mean by that is, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Raptors, teams that a lot of people thought would be up with the Celtics in sort of that 1-5 to five range, they're also in that 7-10 to 10 or lower range. Um, Pacers are the same way. So I think that this, it's still very early, but this NBA season is sort of taking a weird shape especially in the Easter Conference. You know, obviously Brooklyn, uh, they were expected to be good. They're 12-5. and five. Um, You know, some of the other teams, Miami, expected to be good. They're 11-6. and six. So we're not looking at really anybody in the Easter Conference right now that's running away with it early. You know, it seems like oftentimes in the NBA, there are teams that get off to really, really strong, fast starts. Um, you know, when in the West, obviously Golden State looks like that team. It looks like they've sort of reverted to where they were, uh, you know, in the last, 
five years or so, they've sort of, they had a little bit of a dip there uh, in the COVID era. Um, you know, so I'm not surprised to see them, though, rebound, no pun intended, and be back at the top of the standings. So in the East, we really don't have a team that's really jumping all out in front. I mean, the Nets, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. You know, I'm looking at the standings now. They're 10-4 and four in the conference, um, and they've you know, really played well on the road. Um, so I think that beyond them, the rest of the East is sort of this jumble of teams they're in like the three to eight ratio, um, you know, sector of the, of the range of the standings. Um, I don't know that sounds a little bit clunky, but the so is the Eastern Conference, um, from what I've seen. And and like I said, I haven't followed it extremely closely uh, this this year. You know, I've, I'm more of an NHL guy, and and I found over the you know past few years, that's really and my friends agree with this too. You really sometimes have to pick one, you know, because. They're going on simultaneously. They all play on weekdays. It's not like the NFL where, you know, you get like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then if your team's not playing on Monday or Thursday, you know, you have some time to digest the week uh, and when, the, when there's only one game a week. So it is sometimes hard to follow both. But over in the West, like I said, Golden State, they're 9-1. and one. That's, that's not surprising for a team that, you know, has the best differential in the NBA, they have the best home record in the NBA. Uh, you know, they're 8-1 and one in their conference, 9-1 and one in their last 10. Um, but equally as impressive, in my opinion, is the Phoenix Suns. They've won 11 in a row. So in the West, you can sort of look at those two teams and say, okay, those are the ones that are making that early season jump. Uh, you know, if I had to sort of make my you know, make my prediction on where things are going to end out or end up, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're going to be looking at Dallas and Utah in that conversation. Um, I, th- I don't think the Lakers will stay down for long. Um, you know, Memphis, Portland, Clippers, they're sort of hovering around 500. But, you know, su- we all know that the NBA is a superstar-driven league. Superstars run this league. So... You know, when you look around, you can see the teams that have a superstar. Is it, is it a Luka Doncic? Is it a, you know, James Harden or whoever, you know, around this league? They're, you know, they're the ones that are, when when the cards are on the table in May and June, are, are really going to rise to the occasion. But the NBA, very top-heavy in the, uh, in the um, West so far, sort of jumbled in the East, uh, but... This is a league where you got to keep your eye on things because if you look away for a moment, you can look back and everything will be completely different. Uh, and as we transition over to college football, I think I think that's the same. I think that's the same um, same story. You know, we have a clear number one in Georgia. In my opinion, we have a clear number two in Alabama. Uh, those two teams are among the best in you know the country, obviously. Um, I thought we had a clear number three in Oregon. Uh, they got blown out yesterday by Utah. Very interesting. Pac, the Pac-12, it's a mess, it seems, every year. Um, it seems like nobody in that conference can really you know, grab a top-four mantle and keep it. Um, you know, elsewhere, some of the big games, Michigan rolled Maryland. Michigan has a real shot here if... You know, they play their cards right. They have a huge rivalry game next week. But if they play their cards right, they have an opportunity to get into that top four. Um, Cincinnati, though, is ahead of them. Cincinnati's still undefeated. That undefeated label is huge if a group of five conference team is going to make it to the playoff. Uh, I have a hard time, you know, with some of these people that don't think the group of five is uh, is really going to be one of those conferences, or if a group of five school is going to hold one of those teams, it's going to make it into the top four. I have a problem with people who don't really believe that. Um, sometimes, you know, when crap hits the fan, you know, you just have to look at who's been playing the best the most consistently. You know, I while I'm looking at these rankings here, Cincinnati's a number five. They're 11-0 and 0 
you know, they they've just rolled teams. I mean, they rolled USF, they rolled SMU. I mean, they are on their way to an undefeated season. It's going to be hard to leave them out, although we've seen it happen in the past with these group of five schools. But what my trump card is, is what these people who don't want to see a group of five school in the college football playoff, what they don't understand is that when it's jumbly and when it's congested among the power five, and there's really not a clear number four. Like right now, I think Ohio State's the clear number four. But when there's really not a clear power five hierarchy, and one of those group of five schools is hanging around and they're holding the undefeated record card, sometimes it's hard to ignore them. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head if a group of five school has ever made the college football playoff. I don't believe so. Um it's rare that even a Pac-12 team outside of that year where Washington made it and that year where Oregon made it. I don't think we've had a lot of even Pac-12 teams in the um, in the top four for, for the playoffs. So we've seen we've seen a lot of movement here. Um, we have a lot of nine and one teams that got victories this week, um, except for Wake Forest. They lost to Clemson and uh, Michigan State lost to Ohio State. So we've we now have a lot of ten and one teams after this weekend. Um, Cincinnati being eleven and zero is huge. Um, if I had to make my pick right now, I think Georgia, Alabama, one and two. I think Ohio State becomes a um, becomes an interesting case in what happens if they aren't Big Ten champs. What happens if they aren't, uh, you know, better than some of these other teams? You know, they play Michigan next week. That's huge. That's the noon game on Fox. Um, if they beat Michigan, they're clearly the number one, or sorry, the number one team in that in that uh, conference, which gives them a clear slot as long as they take care of business in the conference championship game. That gives them a clear path to being in the uh, college football playoff. If Michigan can somehow win at home, uh, I think Michigan gets that nod. You have to give Michigan that nod. If they if they beat Ohio State at home, they have to make, in my opinion, the top um, the top four for the college football playoff. And so then you're really looking at Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, who's going to be that fourth team? Is it going to be Cincinnati? Is it going to be Notre Dame? Um, could a team like Oklahoma find their way back in? Uh, I don't believe so. So you're really looking at uh, you're really looking at some uh, really a handful of schools now. Um, it looks to me like that loss to Baylor really looms large for Oklahoma because you know Baylor's now as a two loss team has jumped them in the rankings as of this week. We'll see what comes out tomorrow. Notre Dame going to be hard for them to make a run. Oklahoma State, I think, even has a better chance than Oklahoma at this point. Michigan State, they took a huge um, step back with that loss at Ohio State. And so I think it's really a race from that top six right now. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, maybe Oregon, but they've lost two now. So maybe Notre Dame. Well, it's really... A six-team race at this point. Um, so I like Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, or Ohio State, whoever wins. And then I, I like Cincinnati. I'll take it. If, if any team, you start looking at building resumes. If any team has built a resume to make the playoff, it's sort of been these guys as a group of five school. Like they, they start off, they beat Miami, Ohio. They beat Murray State. They beat Indiana. They beat Notre Dame. Right, so they have a better chance, in my opinion, to make it in than Notre Dame does. They beat Temple, they beat US, they beat UCF, they beat Navy. Navy's kind of not great this year. They beat Tulane, they beat Tulsa, they beat USF, and they beat SMU. And then they get to uh, hopefully clean up their schedule next week with uh, Eastern Carolina. So, in my opinion, Cincinnati deserves to be in that conversation. Other big news in college football, uh, Dan Mullen out at Florida. That's huge news. 
um, considering you know a lot of people early on thought Florida was going to be one of those teams vying uh, for the top for the top spots, but they've really had a disappointing second half of the season. Um, offense is just not you know way too many turnovers. So look at Florida. How looks just see how far they've fallen this year. How how far they've fallen aggregately over the past decade or so. Um, and so they're really going to have to find someone who can turn it around. Uh, so yeah, that's my take on college football. Um, again, just like the NBA, it's just so many games going on. And, you know, when you're a working person like I am and you've got things going on, it's sometimes difficult to, uh, devote time on a Saturday to follow all this. Um, but that's why we have rankings and that's why we have technology. So... That's how I see it. All right. Moving on here to some of our other ancillary topics. Um, I don't have really the best way to describe this, but we were talking about we were talking about the NBA and certain things happening around the NBA, like who's you know who's um, really taking off. Who's in? You know who's starting off strong. Who is? Uh, who is really falling behind? Are the um, are the Celtics going to be one of those teams that get stuck in the play-in? Um, there's a there's a lot of questions in the NBA, um, but I'm going to step off the court here and go back to a story we talked about a few weeks ago. And that is Inez Cantor. So Inez Cantor plays with the Celtics. He's been very outspoken about the unrest and abuses happening in China and the poor treatment of certain ethnic minorities in that region. Now, here's what we do know. We know that China is a huge market for Americans, uh, but particularly the NBA. We also know that Nike... And the NBA have a vested interest in what goes on in that part of the world. Uh, I will admit that I had to come back and re-record this because of a technical difficulty, but it's actually good because it allows me to articulate this a little more clearly. The NBA does a pretty good job in this country with allowing their players to voice concerns about domestic issues going on. Uh, We know that LeBron James, for instance, has no problem doing that. Um, We know that, for instance, games have even been postponed or canceled in the past. And so the NBA has really taken a vested interest in what uh, goes on in this country with certain social issues. But to me, what's most bothersome is that they treat China like a cash cow and they refuse to really let anybody speak freely about it. Except Inez Cantor is now the first to really do it. Um, and what I mean by they refuse to let people speak freely about it is not that they restrict them from doing so, but rather that they don't back them. They let them get all of the backlash from certain people and they don't they don't go their influential figures around the NBA don't go to bat for someone like Inez Cantor. But they'll go to bat for Mark Cuban. Granted he's one of their owners, of course, when he's you know makes a you know Mark Cuban, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, some of these people, you know, they say they speak their mind and they get celebrated by the sports media and they get celebrated by people around the NBA. Um, but for some reason, what Inez Cantor is doing is falling on deaf ears. Um, now, look, it, it's more than an economic thing, but that's just where I'm going to go with it for now. Uh, my thoughts are very scattered, but I hope you'll, you'll stay with me. We have Daryl Morey's first comments, who who in 2019 supported the protests in Hong Kong, right? Then we had the subsequent uh, comments by LeBron James in response where he 
said he needed to get educated on the issue. Um, to me, that was a deflection. Uh, he didn't really want to talk about it because he knows it's bad for his brand because China is such a big market. So there lies a double standard. The NBA has no problem, does a great job promoting their involvement and defending everyone's involvement in that, um, in the improvement of things in this country. But their second biggest market is in China and they forget it doesn't exist. Are they sorry? They forget it exists and they pretend it doesn't. Um, and that's bothersome to me because what's going on over there, they are not just a threat to our country. They're a threat to our way of life. Um, you know, if I was Chinese and I was living in China and I was even talking about this, I would get um, probably put in severe trouble. So basically, Inez Cantor, long story short, has been out uh, speaking out against the abuses happening in China. This is not the first time he's been involved with sociopolitical things. Um, again, I don't really know a lot about the Turkey situation that he was referencing a few years ago, um, but he's definitely not afraid to poke the bear and say things that other people might not necessarily say out of fear. Because we know in this country that despite our own failures to live up to our own standards of morality and equality, we do know that in America... Nowadays, at least, there is a positive way where if you have a certain point of view, you will be celebrated for it in the media. Um, and, I mean, that's just the way it goes. But for Inez Cantor, doesn't really seem like anyone's talking about this until now. Because the other day, the Celtics played the Los Angeles Lakers and Inez Cantor was wearing certain sneakers um, that were provoking the somewhat double standard that LeBron uh, has uh, been preaching. You know, he'll, pre he'll preach to kingdom come about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, for example. But he won't say anything about the uh, abuses happening in China because that's obviously a huge market for his sneakers and whatnot. So I don't want to sound like I work for Fox News or anything, but that's just how we're going. I mean, that is that is the facts, um, is that LeBron wants to be a global superstar, but doesn't want to speak about global issues that are bad for his brand. Um, and that's really the bed you make um, that you now have to lie in when you want to involve yourself in every single social problem. When you sit one out, some people notice, and Inez Cantor seems to have noticed. So he wore these um, really provocative shoes, and then he tweeted, Money over morals for the, quote, king. Sad and disgusting how these athletes pretend they care about social justice. They really do, quote unquote, shut up and dribble when Big Boss China says so. Did you educate yourself about the slave labor that made your shoes, or is that not a part of your research? So that is absolutely, an like, he eviscerated that LeBron with that tweet. I mean, of course, I don't agree with what Laura Ingram said uh, about shut up and dribble. I think that's sort of a bad way of putting it, um, and obviously her word choice was poor, and it made them sound like they weren't human. Um, and that's, of course, what Inez Cantor was referring to was the shut up and dribble um, reference from a few years ago. Uh, and to me, this is this is way different than than anything we've seen in sports with politics, because it involves a foreign country. Um, Americans talking about American things is one thing. But now we're talking about foreign stuff. And, of course, the did you educate yourself about the situation line came, of course, from his dismissal following Daryl Morey's comments in 2019 about Hong Kong. So LeBron sort of did a LeBron thing in response. Um, he said, quote, after the game when asked about it, 
He's trying to use my name to create an opportunity for himself as a man. If you've got an issue with somebody, you come up to him. He had his opportunity tonight. I seen him in the hallway and he walked right by me. He went on to say, I think if you know me, you know that I, you know that I don't give too many people my energy. He's definitely not someone I would give my energy to. He's trying to use my name to create an opportunity for himself. I definitely won't comment too much on that. Okay, well, interesting. Of course you won't comment too much on that because it reflects poorly on you. Just like he wasn't going to reflect or comment on what's happening in Hong Kong. So for just my take on this whole situation, I guess, writ large as we close out this here, I don't want to ramble on too much about it because I think my listeners get the point. Um, look, you can have whatever op- whatever opinion you want to have about any domestic issue, really. Um, and I don't care because we live in a free country and we have freedoms here. All right. And that's why we're allowed to have such an opinion. All right. But if you want to be a global superstar, a global brand like LeBron James in the NBA, then you can't for just ignore things like what's going on in China. And then when someone like Inez Cantor stands up for that, you need to, you know, give it credence. Like they'll be the first to highlight anything else, any charitable, any social justice movements by someone else, but Inez Camp to talking about China, they pretend it doesn't exist. And I understand. I'm putting on my sport management hat for 10 seconds. I understand that there's a business aspect to this. But this league has made a bed and now they have to lie in it, right? Like, this is why things get complicated when you mix these things. And in regard to the LeBron comments afterward, come on. Everything else he said, whatever. If you want, I sort of agree with if you have an issue with somebody, you have to come up and talk to them face to face about it. I get that. I much prefer it that way too. Um, although I don't believe if, I honestly don't believe that he was seen in the hallway and walked right by him. I just, I mean, maybe, but I don't think it was on by design. I mean, the last thing Inez Cantor wants to do is get in a visual altercation with LeBron in front of cameras because we all know how that's going to play. All right. So, look, I I get it. Um, But the line that really annoyed me the most is the, I think if you know me, you know I don't give too many people my energy. What a condescending and smug comment. I don't give too many people my energy. Like, your energy is something that needs, like, to be conserved. And he's not talking about his physical energy. He's talking about his mental energy. His mental energy that, of course, he has to use to educate himself on every situation except this one, of course. You know, he has in mind, it's always about the mental energy and what LeBron has to develop. Like, I get it. He's a worldwide athlete. He's probably one of the best players to ever play basketball. He's probably an incredibly smart guy. But you don't do yourself any favors when you make it seem like your mental energy is not something that you want to waste on someone else. And you do so publicly. Now, I mean, I've I've always been taught that, you know, just, oh, you got to ignore people when they say things about you. You got to turn the other cheek. Like, I understand all that. And I, you know, I abide by that. But you don't go out publicly and say, yeah, this guy, he's equal to me as a man. And therefore, he should, you know, talk to me about it. But in the same token, say, oh, yeah, I don't, I, he he doesn't really deserve my energy. I mean, and he's trying to use my name to create an opportunity for himself. I mean, I don't really buy that either. Um, and of course, LeBron won't want to comment too much on it because it just will continue to bring up the situation that he and others around the NBA have completely just bowed down uh, to China in the last few years um, and just completely just put profit over um you know profit over doing the right thing um and you know they have an incredible platform that they have used effectively and i don't know why they don't want to use it effectively in this way it doesn't make any sense to me all right 
obviously you can have your own opinion on Dina's Cantor situation. That is mine. Um, I, I think that sometimes in this country, when sports gets, gets mixed with politics, people's feelings get hurt um, because not everyone might agree with me on that, right? Like we might not have voted for the same person or we might not believe the same thing about the world. Um, you know, but I, I do believe that sports brings people together more than it tears them apart. Um, so I think people should look at these things as people should look at sports as a way to unite people. You know, and I don't think there's anyone in in this country, um, you know, that believes that certain people are, uh, you know, that that certain people shouldn't have an opinion. Like LeBron and Inez Cantor and Adam Silver or Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich or all these other celebrities in the NBA, they can have different views than me, um, but I still respect them as people. Uh, I think that sometimes we don't have that ability anymore. Um, I still respect anybody, no matter what their background is, no matter what they believe as people. Um, and, you know, I think in this canter, maybe he was trying to create an opportunity for himself. But I don't think it was only for him. I think he really, really knows the hypocr- hypocrisy that's going on in the NBA. All right, moving on here. I was having a discussion with my friend the other night talking about global worldwide brands. The NHL sort of in trouble with that. Like, the NBA does a great job being a worldwide brand. They're probably the best worldwide brand of any league we have in this country, despite the problems we just talked about. There's really huge ethical conflict. Uh, conflicts with some of what the NBA has done in recent years. Um, sometimes that's a consequence. Again, as I said, when you make a bed, you sometimes have to lie in it. So the NHL, on the on the other hand, they've had a PR problem in the past few months that's off the charts, right? Horrible scandal with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and the fallout as a result um, last year. There were another bad scandal um, involving a former player who was talking about being abused uh, racially and um, you know, verbally abused by coaches and fans and whoever. So I think the NHL has really had a problem with their marketing of themselves. Um, it's incredibly popular in Canada. It's incredibly popular in certain states in the U.S. You know, Michigan, Minnesota, New England, New York. Um, even some markets like Tampa and Nashville who are warm weather cities that have teams. But it's failing to really get momentum. And we saw that with NBC. You know, NBC, they lost the rights to heading over to Turner ESPN, perhaps they can resurrect it a little bit. We see that NBC is now invested and doubled down on the EPL uh, in this country. They just agreed to a six-year extension running through 2028, I believe. So this, this isn't great news for the NHL that the USA versus Mexico World Cup qualifying soccer match drew better than the past two years of the Stanley Cup final. Um, Now, look, soccer is growing in this country. It's still a subculture that I sometimes find myself a part of. Um, But the soccer people really need to calm down. Because in my opinion, it's apples and oranges. The NHL popularity does wax and wane. uh, And it is very regional. I understand that. But let's not forget that soccer is the same way. Um, the NHL is closer to the MLS than it is the NFL and the uh, NBA, obviously, in terms of regional popularity. The NHL in this country, in the United States, is not a nationally popular league like those other two are, or even baseball. Baseball is a little bit closer to the NHL in terms of being regional. If you think about it, sometimes it's like a X and Y axis with the regional and popularity, you know. So when I look around... 
the NBA, the uh, the NFL, they do a good job nationally. The NHL's really struggled. Um, but the soccer people need to calm down because the World Cup qualifying happens every four years. All right. And we know that USA Soccer did not make the World Cup in 2018 and that they're trying to get back there for Qatar next year. So, of course, a one-off Friday night matchup against a neighboring country in a to qualify for a four-year tournament, for every four-year tournament, the biggest tournament in the world, of course that's going to draw a huge audience, especially among even casual soccer fans like myself, although I didn't even watch it. The end, whereas the Stanley Cup happens every year. In the past two years, the NHL has really taken a blow post-bubble. And so to me, it's not really all that surprising. And so they're t- you know, the, soccer guy, the soccer bros are taking a victory lap over that. Like, look, that's great. Great for them. Soccer is on the rise in this country. The more that people, uh, the more that people, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ignore. The more that people ignore that, the worse off it will, it will be. But for the NHL, to me, there's really two things they need to do. And one of them they've done a pretty good job of already. Expansion, they've done an amazing job. I mean, they put a team in Phoenix, Arizona several years ago. I think, you know, was that maybe 20 years ago now? And the best American player in the league is Austin Matthews, and he's from Arizona. I don't think that's a coincidence. So they've done expansion really well. They bring in Vegas. They bring in Seattle. Those are two sort of younger, sort of more progressive markets uh, for the sport, and that's a great opportunity for them. Second thing they need to do, is they need to be global, but don't be like the NBA. And here's where it gets challenging. I don't think it would be smart for them to try and penetrate China. Even though the Olympics are in China, I think they should really target Japan, which already sort of has a, uh, like a Alpine culture, like a winter culture. You know, they're really strong winter Olympic country. They've had the Olympics there, I believe, before. Uh, in Nagano, if I don't, if I remember correctly. So, I think that the opportunities for um, the NHL in Asia are really in uh, in Japan. Um, so, but having the Olympic tournament in their times time sphere, I mean, I don't think it's the exact same time zone, um, but it's going to be a lot easier for. Places like Japan, if they're even, I don't even know where they stand with the IIHF, if they're even in the tournament. But hopefully if Japanese fans tune into the tournament, they will see, uh, they will see more of the, um, more of the Olympic hockey tournament than they would have otherwise. And the other side of that coin is they really need to find a way to keep NHL players in the Olympics. And if they don't, then they need to um, then they need to create that World Cup of Hockey tournament over again. Uh, that World Cup of Hockey tournament they had in 2016 was pretty nice. Only problem was it was in September, I believe. Um, which is not necessarily like the time of year when a lot of people have hockey on their mind. What they need to do is resurrect that tournament, take a two-week break, have it in Toronto, have it in Boston, Detroit, Pittsburgh, some strong North American hockey cities in the East Coast, um, maybe even have a game or two in Seattle or Vancouver um, or even Calgary, Denver, Edmonton, you know, places like that. So... If they don't like the idea of taking a month off and sending their players over to wherever the Olympics are happening, I think it will be in Paris 
2026. And then in 2030, it could be back in North America again between Salt Lake, Denver, uh, sorry, Salt Lake, uh, Calgary, Vancouver, some other places are kicking the can around. So it might be back in North America then. But that's a long way off and they, they can't afford any more years to go to waste. So if they don't want, if for some reason they pull out by that January 12th deadline and they don't want their NHL players going to the Olympics, then they need to resurrect the World Cup of Hockey Tournament and they need to do it in the middle of the season. Like they would the Olympic Tournament. There'll be less travel. They can make, they can make it really if they want. They can have a small group stage where you have four teams in a group, you play three games over like a Thursday to Monday span, right? Then you have a couple days off, and then you come back the following weekend, and you have a knockout round. Boom. There you go. In February. What else? I mean, what else can they do? I mean, they're extreme, hockey is extremely popular in Europe, uh, but not necessarily the NHL because they have their own leagues. So if you wanted, you can try and do like a World Champions League kind of thing, but I don't think that would really work. Because uh, European leagues already do that, and the KHL and the NHL don't really get along, and so they're kind of on either side with a bunch of smaller, mid middle European teams in the middle. So that that's not a strong idea, you know. And then, what do you do about the Japan thing? I think you really got to invest in this year's Olympics and get Japan involved, uh, and get them hooked on the NHL via uh, via the Olympics. Um, so that's that's really what I see, sort of a three step process. Go to the Olympics this year. Keep Japan engaged. That's a great market for the NHL. And then second secondary off of that is if you don't go to the Olympics, you gotta re reinvigorate and you know reintroduce that World Cup of Hockey tournament, have it every four years in this country or in between USA and Canada, uh, and really spread it out and have it be the IHF can get involved with the NHL if they want, but the NHL could run it themselves as a joint partnership. You know, ESPN would love that. You know, some February content after the Super Bowl when the NFL season's over, um, you know, before leading into March Madness and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I would totally be on board with that. All right, we're going to end the show here with... Our weekly cancellation was it's going to be quick and it's going to be Thanksgiving themed. I'm already way over. You know, we're we're at like 43 minutes by now. And uh, I was trying to wrap up in uh, in 40. Um, but I but I will just will quickly go over this because it, it merits talking about. We all know that football is a big part of Thanksgiving for a lot of people. A lot of families bond over that bond over watching the game, especially if you live in like Detroit or Dallas and you're, or, and you're always on, um, it, it can be an, it can be a bonding opportunity for people all over the country. Um, again, another example of how sports can bring people together, but we also know that the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade does the same thing. It's usually on, I think from nine to noon or eight to noon or something like that. East coast time. Uh, usually played back later. Um, NBC does a decent job with that, you know. So, the one problem I have with the Thanksgiving programming is what lies between the parade and the football games. Or what's oftentimes going on at the same time as the early football game. And that is the National Dog Show. More often than not, by the time you're watching the dog show, you're either cleaning up and you're getting yelled at to go do dishes or help out with the cleanup, or you're the one doing the cleanup, or you feel guilty that you're watching the dog show because other people are cleaning up, or you're stuck with family who might not have the same interests as you. They don't want to watch football. They want to watch the dog show. And... Before any of my family yells at me, I'm not really speaking from really personal experience. This is just more of an aggregate over my life of what I've experienced in a, many different uh, Thanksgiving environments. I don't necessarily have a huge family. So sometimes I get introduced to big families and different traditions, and that stuff's all awesome. But it does allow me to see sort of, you know, a lot of stuff happen in a, in a way. And I, 
I, I have friends who are part of big families, and I hear this from them too. So, What oftentimes happens, especially if you're young and you're married without kids like me, is you go to someone's house and you watch, uh, you watch part of the dog show, and then you go to someone else's house and it's on playback, and then you get to watch it again. And the dog show does nothing for me. Um, I'd like to cancel the dog show. First of all, I thought we lived in a world where this would be something that would be canceled outside the satire that is this segment of my show. Um, I just thought someone would find a reason to cancel it, uh, given our current culture. But because they haven't, I will. Last year was the most egregious of all, because the guy who was like doing the stuff, like the, I don't even know what they're called, like the trainer or the host... One of, one of the dudes was legit wearing a mask when he was just on the floor with only dogs. There was not a human in sight. It's like, what are we doing here? Are the dogs going to get COVID from you? I don't think so. Are you going to get the COVID disease from the dogs? Probably not. <laughs> Better be careful what I say or else I'm going to get turned off. Uh, turned off iTunes or Spotify. But my real problem with the dog show is it just, it doesn't really feel like it has a place. Like, football's going on at the same time. The parade is still over. Sometimes people DVR the parade and watch it on playback. Because they're, like, busy cooking and trying not to burn down their house. Other times, they, people will just watch the playback of the dog show after you're all sitting around eating pie. And you're, like, in a food coma and the tryptophan is really hitting you and... You know, you might even try and sneak in some few leftovers before the 8 o'clock football game. And here we go. The dog show is still on. And the other thing is, it's just one big Purina commercial. No one knows. I mean, the average person doesn't know the breeds or the types or the classes or whatever they're called. So it just seems to get out of place in the Thanksgiving landscape. The parade is at least Thanksgiving themed. You know, there's turkeys, there's... Christmas at the end, people are dancing, you know, there's leaves and cornucopias and, excuse me, whatever. Over in the late afternoon, you know, football, you know, they eat the turkey at the end. You know, it's sort of ingrained in American culture. It feels very American. Thanksgiving is very American, so it all kind of makes sense there. But in the middle, it's like this, this random dog show. Uh, and it just feels out of place. So I apologize if you enjoy the National Dog Show. Um, but as of today, November 21st, 2021, it is effectively canceled. So you'll have to find something else to do while you do the dishes on Thursday. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage I hope you enjoyed the program. I know we kind of went off the rails there in the middle talking about Inez Cantor, LeBron James, and China, um, but I kind of wanted to do a rewind. Um, weird day for me. I'm recording this a little early. There's not really a football game I'm truly invested with. My Patriots won on Thursday night over Atlanta. I watched the Premier League this morning. Tottenham beat Leeds. Uh, the Bruins don't play the Flames until tonight, so I'm really persona non grata today in the sports world. Uh, between like 1 p.m. and uh, 7 p.m., which is why I'm recording during this time. But I hope you enjoyed the uh, rest of the program. We will be back, important programming note, we'll be back Monday and Wednesday for an episode of The Morning Advantage at 7 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live TV. Um, we will not be doing a Black Friday morning show. Um, I will be off-site and... Uh, whatever the term is for that. Um, so I will not be doing a Morning Advantage show on Friday. And the jury is still out on what will happen next weekend uh, if I will have a long-form podcast. But I think I might want to save it until late Sunday of next week because of the Patriots-Titans game that is coming out to be, or that is you know building out, building up to be, I should say, a huge um a huge game in the NFL. Um, but that does it for this episode of The Morning Advantage. I hope you enjoyed the program. We'll be back tomorrow 
uh, recapping some of what happened elsewhere in the sports world this weekend on Instagram Live. You can follow us there at HomeFieldPod. You can also follow us on Twitter at HomeFieldPod. And please like, share, and subscribe to the show. We appreciate it. And I hope you all have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, If we don't uh, get a chance to find our way into your headphones until then, um, my name is Will Highland and this is Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you want to make Home Field Advantage part of your weekly routine, Check out our sister program, The Morning Advantage, with new episodes on Instagram TV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Home Field Advantage and The Morning Advantage are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions shared on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.